0: Hello, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation tour-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. Welcome, Mary. We're so happy to have you with us on the Faculty Chronicles. I'm Gina Bardwell, and our guest is Dr. Mary flanagan Kundel. Mary flanagan Kundel is the co-chair of the Physician Assistant PA programs at the School of Health Sciences of Turrell University. She chairs assessment and remediation. Dr. Flanagan-Cundell received her Master of Science degree in Physician Assistant Studies and an Advanced Certificate in Health Care Management from Stony Brook University. Most recently, she attained her Doctorate of Physician Assistant from Turo University worldwide. As a practicing PA for over 40 years, Dr. Flanagan-Cundell works in family practice medicine and is experienced in cardiothoracic surgery, emergency medicine, pediatrics, family practice, and spinoscoliosis surgery. Dr. Kundel's favorite moments have been her one-on-one remediation sessions helping students achieve their dream of becoming a PA. She's a site visitor for our accreditors, the ARC PA since 2016, and she spearheads accreditation for continuing and newly developing PA programs. There are currently five plus PA programs established at Turo University. When she's not working, she spends as much time as she can with her four precious grandsons, ages two to six. And let me say with full disclosure, I have seen photos of those beautiful children and I can see why she would want to spend time. They are fantastic. So hello, Mary. And I am so glad you could join us today and speak about physician assistance education.
1: Thank you for having me, Gina. I'm delighted to be here.
0: You have a terrific story about how you found your career path as a physician assistant. Will you share a brief synopsis of your journey with us?
1: I would love to. So it's kind of an interesting story. I was a sophomore at St. John's University, and I was in the pre-med track because I scored well in math and science, but I really didn't want to be a physician. I wanted to be um, have a family and be at home with my children. I was taking an Italian course, and there was a pre-med student, senior, ready to graduate who was struggling. So I ended up tutoring him through the course. He was successful. He ended up graduating and going off to med school. And when I entered my junior year, I received a letter from him. He was thanking me. And he also told me that he found the perfect profession for me. It's the physician assistant program. And it was right there at St. John's University. And I think the rest of my story is history. And I am forever grateful for that individual for writing that letter. Oh, I know you
0: are. So you tutored him in Italian. And then he calls and says, "I've got the perfect job for you." That's that's really great. That's what you call a karma. Good karma.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was wonderful. I don't believe I would be here today if it wasn't for that letter.
0: You know, I've also heard you say that students need to know what they don't know. Now, I'd like to hear more about that. Could you explain
1: Yeah, sure. The PA curriculum begins with foundational knowledge in the biomedical sciences and then we gradually build on that knowledge through the clinical medicine courses. We teach them to gather information, take a history, perform a physical, order diagnostic tests, develop a differential, and then come to that final diagnosis. They have to become critical thinkers. But finding a final diagnosis is not always easy. So what I tell my students, and I really believe this firmly and have experienced it through my many years in clinical medicine, illnesses do not read the books. They don't always present in that classic form. And they have to realize that medicine isn't easy. They definitely need to know what they don't know. They're part of a team, a healthcare team. And together, using multiple resources and subspecialties, we're able to treat our patients effectively. And I think it's important for them to reach out and consult. And I also tell them that as a clinician for over 40 years, there is not a day that goes by in clinical medicine that I don't have to look something up or refer one or two of my patients that day to a specialist. If I've learned nothing, I have learned that the more you know, you recognize that there is a world of information out there that you don't know.
0: That's excellent advice. Excellent advice, Mary. So my next question here is algorithms or healthcare analytics are an important part of patient care. We know that. And additionally, in your classes, how do you teach a student to treat the whole patient, to be an intuitive patient care provider?
1: That's a great question because it's really critical to effective and optimal care. We start right in the first semester. There are two courses. One is physical diagnosis, lab and lecture, as well as uh, psychosocial and the role of the physician assistant. And we really teach them the importance of the PA patient encounter, developing an autonomous and trusting uh, relationship with their patients. And that course builds in semester two and three with physical diagnosis two and correlative medicine where they can fine tune those skills. And all through the clinical medicine courses, we reinforce the need for them to treat their patients understanding cultural, economic, educational barriers, those social determinants of health. If you don't look upstream, if you don't know what your patients do for a living, where they attend school or what their educational level is. You really won't know how to treat them effectively. So I think those are really critical. The other thing is I always tell them, look at your patients. If they look healthy, they probably are, but if they don't, you really need to dig deep and try to figure out what's going on. Not to mention you don't wanna miss that subtle body language you know, that may suggest some fear, anxiety, depression. Um, all of these things will affect how you treat your patients. And I also tell them my last lecture in my infectious disease course is be good listeners, have empathy and to be kind and compassionate. And together those tools will help them to provide the most effective care.
0: And as simple as you've stated that, sometimes those are the hardest things to do, just to be present. But that's again, excellent advice. So doctor, since COVID, what has changed in the way patient care is discussed or taught in a physician assistance course? Uh, Let's look at how you teach infectious diseases since COVID 2019.
1: As we know, COVID changed how we delivered curriculum Um, pretty much overnight. uh, You know, we went from in-person because we are basically an in-person program to synchronous Zoom. And I just have to give a shout out again to our senior leadership who called for that trial run for us before the shutdown, um, because I felt like we were a step ahead when it happened. So I just have to say thank you to them once again. Keeping the students engaged in the classroom is challenging. And on Zoom, it's even more challenging because I think we all know that students have, or we all have, I'm gonna say 15 to 20 minutes of attention span max. I think there are studies that say that's more like eight to 10. You have to kind of switch it up all the time. So in the synchronous Zoom, we teach infectious diseases in a case-based format. I have the students read the cases. There are a lot of questions throughout the cases, so I'm having them interact. I actually will call on students to read because if I don't do that, I feel like the same four or five students read all the cases and I wanna try to get everybody engaged. I also used breakout rooms, which they liked. Sometimes I would give a lecture or even narrate a lecture and then we would come together and I would put them in breakout rooms and they would each have an activity to do and then we would come back together and each group would speak to those questions and review the material with one another. So I tried to keep them all engaged. The other thing I love is Jeopardy. Uh, I even put the music to my slides. (laughs) So I love to do little Jeopardy reviews and sometimes I actually use a Jeopardy game as a form of assessment, which is fun for them because all they ever get is written exams. So it's nice once in a while to do it a little bit differently. And I think the other thing that I always try to do both in the classroom and in Zoom is to make them laugh a little bit because I know that that just settles their nerves a little bit, re-engages them, uh, and then they're able to listen. Most of our lectures are two hours long. So you have to use a, a lot of different pedagogy and techniques to keep them interested.
0: Well, that's fascinating. And I do ditto that trial run that senior management put in place when we went from the classroom onto video conferencing, Zoom, synchronous classes. And Jeopardy and the case based studies that you use in, in class and the breakout rooms are very useful. Students do love the breakout rooms. That's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I will say those cases, many of them are my cases or cases from Dr. Royd. She's our medical director, Dr. Jana Royd, and we co teach infectious diseases together. So it's all interesting, it's all real. Um, yeah. And it also shows them how different people with the same illness can present in a number of different ways. So um, it helps to keep them engaged.
0: Absolutely.
1: So at what point
0: during the PA program do students learn about the general relationship, let's say between the doctor and the PA, and what are some classroom activities or training that takes place?
1: Okay, so this begins early on. Right in the first semester, we have a course called Psychosocial and the Role of the PA. In this course, the students will learn not only about the relationship between the physician and the PA, but also their professional role as PAs in clinical practice, Uh, there's a focus on cultural competency, um, cultural diversity, inclusivity, uh, different personality types, um, how to conduct, you know, uh, an adequate and appropriate interview, looking at the psychosocial issues that patients may have, and of course, integrating that diversity and inclusion for patient-centered care. And our profession was modeled in the physician-PA partnership with the first program coming out of Duke University. That was the model and that's what I preached to. I have a great autonomous relationship with the physicians that I work with. I ask them questions, they ask me questions and the students need to know that we're a team uh, and we work together. And the way we deliver some of that curriculum, they use some different techniques in this course in particular where they'll do group activities role-playing, along with the more standardized written quizzes and exams, as well as discussion boards.
0: What are some of the challenges students face as they study and train to become PAs? What are the trends you're seeing in terms of student challenges? And are there some strategies you use in your classes to help them reach some
1: successful outcomes? In my opinion, there is just no other program like PA school. I mean, they are getting 123 uh, credits sort of crammed into those brains in 28 to 32 months, depending on the program. It's really the first two years of medical school. And the analogy that we've often heard used is that it's kind of like sipping water from an open fire hydrant. (laughs) You know, they have long, hard days. They have constant studying. They have tons of exams. In fact, we just had the patch ceremony at the end of the didactic year uh, for our Long Island cohort. And they counted out and let us know that they had over 170 exams the first year. (laughs) So they do keep track. Um, So what do we do? What do we do to help them? Well, first and foremost, we let them know we all have an open door policy. We are there for them whenever they need us. We do have a nice, I'm going to say a robust remediation process where we have early identification in the first six weeks. Students meet with their advisors early on and we work with them and we encourage them and we support them. More recently, we're trying to remove redundancy from the curriculum. It used to be in the past, oh, teach it over and over again if it's important. Well, when you're trying to do 123 credits in, 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 uh, in two years and the majority of it in one year, um, you have to remove redundancy. So we're trying to streamline the curriculum a little bit just so they're not sitting and listening so much. As I said, always try to get them to laugh a little bit during lecture to have them relax. I love teaching with cases. I am not a memorizer. Um, I was back in the days, but no longer, I need to be able to understand, I need to be able to think through processes, so that if I have a case or a patient, or I'm taking an exam and I see a question, able to actually think about the knowledge that I have and try to figure it out. That's critical thinking, that's problem solving. So that's what we want them to do. And I think the case-based teaching helps them a lot. And the other thing we also try to do for them since they have so many exams is we do try to spread them out as best we can. Unfortunately, sometimes they have multiple exams in one week, but we try not to do them back to back. We certainly try never to have two exams in one day. And we do our best uh, to make it a doable process because it's rigorous. So I give them a lot of credit. You know, I would
0: love to be in one of your classes. <laughs> I, w- I mean, they just, they just sound fascinating. They sound rigorous. They sound active and and that you change a lot. And and I I love case-based learning and case-based studies and case-based teaching. So if you had one piece of advice to give students training to become a physician assistant, what would it be?
1: No matter how much they prepared, They have to prepare to study longer and harder than they ever had before. But they also don't need to get straight A's. This is not about being the smartest. They need to have heart, perseverance. They need to be dedicated and they need to work together. And they also need to remember that they need to reach out for us if they need anything, that they should adapt and overcome. And I have created a hashtag for our students And it is hashtag Toro P-A-S for PA students strong.
0: Oh, that is (laughs) terrific. Oh, Mary, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And this concludes our session. And I certainly enjoyed listening and learning and having you as our guest on the Faculty Chronicles. A huge thanks to our listeners for joining Dr. Mary Flanagan-Cundell as she shared her ideas and expertise on PA education. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, and thank you so much for having me. It was a joy to be here.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and university system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening So join us next time on The Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.